Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company Smoked Salmon. The se- you know, I always tell you the secret is in the fire, but I don't know if you realize that the secret is in the fire not because they, the, there's a coating that keeps the omega-3 as- fatty acids in the salmon that makes it so moist and so good, but they don't put that coating on the fish. The honey goes on the fire, and it gets in the smoke and gives that that coating to the fish. If you haven't tried it, it's unbelievable. Speaking of unbelievable, our favorite all-around outdoorsman, Mr. I, I call him Daniel Boone. Nate Zolinski. How you doing, Nate? I'm doing great, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing good. I must be in a good mood. I even gave you a good intro. I like that. I like it a lot. We're definitely taking advantage of uh, harassing wildlife of all kinds here in Colorado. That is for sure. Oh, you, you know, at this time of the year, you've got some of the best fishing of the year. Look at the sun shining, beautiful day that it is outside today. We're either in or in between about 12 million different hunting seasons. <laughs> I, I mean, and just going out and walking trails and maybe going to the archery range at one of the state parks and figuring out that shot you missed on that elk of a lifetime. There's so many things to do. I mean, opening duck in the mountain range. we got the special mountain zones going off as far as waterfowl seasons go, so uh, there's no doubt. And the, the casting blast seems to be a hot thing today. We're kind of going to talk about that, but no, uh, everything's going on. The sheep tags are going on, the pronghorn tags. Everything is at play right now, and uh, it's a great weather weekend. We've had some, uh, some rough, rough weather, I'd say, for the last week or so, and uh, this clear day, everybody's taking advantage of it, that's for sure. Well, you know, we got rifle season coming up for elk, and I know you've just wound up probably the archery and things. But, um, you know, they were rutting. I'm sure they were in the rut. Uh, this cold weather, has it started to move the animals? Are you seeing a change in behavior? You know, right now I'd say everything is very normal. So this week I would say that we are seeing full rut activity. Now, a lot of the animals that were in the high country, you know, some of the, some of the mid-ranges got up to about a foot of snow uh, during the peak of this week and the peak of that storm in the last couple of days. Um, so a lot of the animals that were doing that rut activity way high in elevation, we'll say elevations of, you know, 12,000 feet and higher, we're definitely seeing those animals come out of their rut activity. All the lower-lying elevations, the temperature is still kind of peak for that type of activity. So I really anticipate, uh, you know, the, the cows right now that didn't get bred, what we consider the first wave of heat in that first set of September, those cows are now going on their second cycle. Uh, so I think we're going to have rut activity all the way up until about the first day, maybe second day of that rifle season. So that October 14th, 15th, I think we're still going to see the rut activity then. Uh, but once those guns going off, uh, there's no doubt that will start fading out very quickly. But uh, as far as the lower elevations, you know, 10,000 and less, uh, you're definitely still seeing a lot of rut activity. I think it's lining up to be one of those incredible first rifle seasons as long as the weather stays as it is. If we start getting more snow, more cold, uh, those bigger bulls are going to separate from those cows. It's definitely going to change things. But as of right now, looking at the 10-day forecast, uh, I think that first rifle is going to be absolutely incredible. How, how does that change your scouting? Now, you're looking at, and, and I'm going to be the first to admit, I've hunted big game all over North America, but you've hunted elk so much more than me. You know much, much more about the elk in the mountains here. What uh, when you're scouting right now, uh, does that change where you go, where you look, it, how you, you know, enter right the woods? Now, right now, I'm taking advantage of the, of the rut situation. So I was out yesterday, and we're just doing slight cow calls, slight bugles, and these bulls are screaming back at you. So it's so crucial as a rifle hunter to be out scouting now while they're rutting, uh, just for the fact that even if they come out of the rut by the time you first rifle hunt, um, at least you're going to know the areas that have a lot of bulls in them. So right now, you can go out, do some cow calls, do some bugling, and you're going to hear all the 
bulls in the area in which you're hunting. So even if they separate from the cows and they quit talking, at least you have a rough idea of, hey, this drainage, you know, this uh, three-mile stretch here has, you know, 10 bulls in it or eight bulls in it or whatever the case may be. So it's going to give you a good idea right now to know how many bulls are in the area uh, just to the fact that they are being vocal, they are talking. Uh, but as we go forth, I really am going to just pay attention to the temperatures, pay attention to the weather, and uh, anticipating to have a phenomenal first or second day of that hunting season. So I really put a lot of emphasis on the first and second day of that rifle tag until the guns start going off. Once a lot of guns start going off, that's when those bulls are going to separate from the cows. That's when everything's going to become educated. And that's when things change. So our big preaching point is if you talk to the average hunter that has spent, say, a week in the woods in a given straight time, you know, the seven straight days in the woods, if you ask them at the end of that week, what would you do for one more day? Everybody you talk to that walks away unsuccessful goes, man, if I had one more day, I could get it done. And that's just for the fact that they, they use their week of hunting as scouting. So I encourage people, especially going forth to this first rifle tag, go into the woods three, four, five days before that tag. You know, if you have eight days off of work to do that, I would spend most of the time before the season um, instead of actually during the season, I would study and scout and find these animals when they're bugling, when they're talking, when they're their normal behavior. And I would take advantage of those first and second days of that tag, uh, why the bulls are talking and, and, and being vocal and easy to locate and easy to find. Now, when you're scouting this time of the year and they've got fairly large harems, the big bulls do, that puts a lot of eyeballs and noses together that can alert. Do you have to approach your scouting a little differently so you don't push animals? Yep. The biggest thing that we do is we're doing mostly long-range scouting. So where we're listening from, from ridges, from roads, from a distance to know where these bulls are at. And then our major point and our big focus is getting to higher elevation and using spotting scopes, using good binoculars, and looking at these animals from a distance to where you're not getting winded. They don't even know you're in the area. Just studying their behavior. And more importantly, with the, with the distance capability of the rifle, you know, you're not as concerned with getting into that extremely close range. So you can have a big focus on... Um, of, you know, just learning where they are from afar and getting a rough idea of where they're going to be. So when the time does come, you know you can slip in just a little closer and still get that job done. Yeah, awesome. Now, you mentioned cast and blast. Let's transition a little bit because before we're done, I want to get a fishing update from you. But a great transition would be the cast and blast. This time of the year uh, can be just an incredible because you're going to be near the water anyway, right? That, you know, it, it can absolutely be incredible to cast and blast. Like the Spinney Mountain Reservoir that offers both fishing and waterfowl hunting. You have the opportunities of Terriol that has both fishing and waterfowl hunting. Uh, and when these line up together, I mean, there's a lot of situations where literally in the same day, if not the same morning, you can have a fishing rod in one hand and a shotgun in the other and take advantage of both these opportunities. And if you look at the, the most of the state wildlife areas, there's, I mean, dozens of areas that are phenomenal fisheries that also offer the waterfowl. I mean, even talking, talking at the front range type areas, you have Boyd Lake that so many people often overlook that you can also hunt on that body of water. Um, you know, you look at all your Eastern Plains reservoirs. So there's a ton of opportunity to, to do the cast and blast. And what an opportunity when you have nice weather like today to, you know, get the waterfowl in those first hour of the time when it peaks there and then jump out fishing and make the most of your day. Well, I, I can tell you from personal experience, um, we were filming a show with Carl Mecklenburg, the Denver Bronco linebacker, the Hall of Fame, uh, the Ring of Famer. He's just a great, great guy to start with. 
Carl is and a good friend. But he was supposed to meet us. We weren't going to do an early start. I think we were going to start fishing around 9 o'clock. So we get to the location, and there's Carl's truck already parked, and he's not around. So we start <laughs> we start going into the lake, and here comes Carl walking out with his shotgun. He got there three hours earlier and did some hunting before we went on the water, and we had a great day fishing. So it really does. Uh, you know. And the great thing about it, too, is that a lot of times the best hunting in the fall is early in the morning and late in the evening again, while a lot of times the best fishing, especially in the rivers and higher lakes, is when the water warms just a little bit from the sun. Exactly. And that's why I said, you know, especially with, again, whether it's big game or the, or the waterfowl, again, it is limited. I mean, sometimes it's only that 20-minute window, 30-minute window if you have bright, sunny skies following that. Uh, and instead of wasting that day, you roll right over to the fish, and it's incredible. And I'll tell you, it, it's blown my mind as a waterfowler. You know, when I'm on shore laying in a coffin-style blind and I have my decoys out, it seems how shy some of these waterfowl and these ducks are coming into your spread. And then all of a sudden, I'm on a, on a shiny big walleye tournament boat. I throw out a couple decoys, and I'm standing on the top of my boat making noise, casting a tube jig, and how these ducks will come right in. Uh, as much as it kind of sounds funny, I mean, a lot of times these birds, they're so used to the fishing-style pressure, you know, I'll anchor in a cove. And a lot of times without being, you know, that, that stealthy hunting mode, uh, I have a lot of opportunities just because these ducks are so used to that type presence. Um, it's almost a, a style of hunting to, to not try to blend in, not try to be stealthy, be what the ducks have normally been seeing, what they can see and kind of consume as being safe. Uh, and all of a sudden you can up your opportunity. So again, a lot of this type of stuff, you can be uh, a very average type hunter. You don't have to have the decoy spread. You don't have to have the boat. Uh, you can really go out with your normal fishing gear, you know, throw out a couple of decoys or even just a couple of duck calls. You can get into a lot of game this time of year. And uh, again, just opportunity without the, a major investment. Well, and a lot of these ducks, you say they're conditioned because a lot of these are locals anyway. We're not seeing too many migratories yet. So these are the the locals that live here, so they are used to seeing you out there. Let's transition into fishing, though. What are you seeing going on around the state? You know, we got so much. I'm actually on Chatfield Reservoir. We're bouncing around right now during the Walleye Insanity Tournament here at Chatfield. Uh, we've already had a fish come to the scale that was 28 inches long. Uh, we are seeing lots and lots of people with, with great baskets here at Chatfield. I mean, it's uh, we're literally three hours into the event, and we're seeing a lot of fish going into live wells. Uh, it seems to be a very fall pattern. We're seeing a lot of jigging wraps, a lot of jigging spoons, a lot of blade baits, uh, heavy reaction fishing. It seems like fish are coming as shallow as, five, six feet of water and as deep as maybe 18 to 20 feet of water. Uh, but jigging those fall presentations as reaction bait seems to be best. Uh, so that bite is going strong. The fall pike, that water temperature dropped dramatically in the last week or so. Um, and that bite is phenomenal for those big pike. The trout bite seems to be phenomenal. Uh, and the big thing that we're really excited about, tomorrow we have our carp series at Lake Arbor. Um, again, so many people are talking about carp being the, the premium sport fish. We would love to, to have the listeners, if you guys are interested in carp you want to learn more about carp you want to learn more about opportunities of just catching fish at a body near your home uh could you go to lake arbor in arvada tomorrow we would love to walk you through the, the opportunities of carp here in colorado you can see and learn from some of the literally the best carp fishermen in the western united states uh with that event and then next saturday is our bass tournament down at pueblo bass obsession uh, and we're really excited about this. So many bass tournaments in Colorado are held in the peak seasons of warm water to where it's a very traditional bass bite, 
and people are casting plastics, casting into the vegetation. Everything is in five feet of water and shallower. As to where we try to host our bass tournaments kind of off that beaten path. We hold a, a spring tournament slightly earlier than a lot of tournaments, and also this fall tournament slightly later, uh, which is going to bring in a couple different things. Number one, it's going to bring in some deep water fish. So now instead of knowing the land and beating the shore, all of a sudden electronics come into play. So all of a sudden that, uh, that almost that walleye approach, and more the, the graphing and the tactical style bass fishing comes into play, which is also really neat just because it, uh, again, just adds another challenge to the series. Uh, the other big thing about these fall events is we start to see these smallmouth gather up to where you know 90% of the bass tournaments held at Pueblo, uh, summer events, it's almost always largemouth spots. Um, as for the fall tournaments, we see a lot of large baskets of big smallmouth. So we're really excited to have this fall event at Pueblo next week. Uh, and again, registration's open all the way until next Friday. We'd love to have people come out, challenge themselves. Again, you're going to have largemouth you're going to have spotted bass. You're also going to have big smallmouth at this event there. Um, and those fish are just now transitioning and sliding off that shallower structure. Uh, so I think you're going to have fish all over the place. You're still going to have a few remaining shallow fish. There's a lot of fish in that mid-range, that 8 to 14 feet. And you also have some of those smallmouth all the way out to, uh, say, 30 feet of water. So a lot of opportunity as these bass start to slide out and transition from a crawdad bite to a shad-based bite. Well, and I want to talk, make a couple points off what you just covered, too. Number one, I want to go back to Chatfield and just comment that the last year or two, Chatfield may be the premier walleye fishery in the state, Nate. It's just, it has been producing just phenomenally, hasn't it? I mean, just phenomenal. It, it, so much of our fisheries here in Colorado are are really based upon the bait fish bite in the in the bodies of water. If you have too much bait, it's great for the fish, it's great for the fishery, but kind of somewhat can be rough on the fishermen. As to where, like right now at Chatfield, we have a phenomenal opportunity of the cross between enough bait fish to keep the lake healthy and have a, a, a sustained fishery, but not enough bait to where the fish are well fed. Uh, so it really opens up a lot of opportunities opportunity for the angling style. So, I mean, out here today, I'm looking around and, you know, we have trolling going on. We have, uh, you know, trolling with cranks. We have spooning. There's some guys pulling live bait rigs. Um, everything seems to be at play and everything seems to be catching fish. So the chat field right now, it's, if you're a new walleye angler, this is a fishery that is definitely worth trying out because again, you can have some flaws. You can have, uh, some different type plays and, and really take advantage of it and catch fish and build some confidence in the walleye angler, learn how to fall fish, and then take those techniques to a variety of different places. Yeah, I, I agree completely. By the way, since I have no flaws, that's what Karen told me anyway. But <laughs> yeah, if you believe that, I got some land in the swamps in Florida I want to sell you. But, yeah. but um, the other thing I want to talk, I cut my teeth originally in the fishing world on the professional basis, bass fishing, and a lot of it was in northern Minnesota. And although I love taking big plastic worms and pitching them into the hardest, deepest slop, you're absolutely right about those fish that are away from shore because bass fishermen get so conditioned to beating the banks, the cover, the shore. Some of our best fish, in fact, uh, people go to my Facebook page and look at uh, some videos and pictures and things I put on my Facebook. You have to scroll down. We were testing the new Max Scent Powerbait from Berkeley up in Minnesota. A lot of those fish came off the weed edge and then off the drop-off down. So many, many, both smallmouth and largemouth, will will stage on those initial drop-offs away from the shore where they can still move up and capture bait or they can push bait against the shelf. 
And, you know, there's so many things that, you know, there's drop shotting. There's I love it when people tell me about uh, the shaky head worm. We were fishing that jig and worm <laughs> 30 years ago, Claudio and I were doing that off the edges, winning bass tournaments. So I'm glad it's such a new development. But Berkeley's <laughs> new Max Scent Powerbait has some some presentations that are going to be so perfect. Now, it's supposed to be hitting the stores. We probably haven't seen them yet, but, you know, you can go after them with a jigging spoon down there, like you said. Uh, you can go after them like you do walleyes with a, a, a jigging wrap, but I'll tell you what, a, a, a drop shot, a good a good uh, semi-finesse presentation, and a spinning reel. Don't be a think because you're a bass fisherman. you got to do it with a baitcaster, and you're going to catch some of the biggest bass of your life right now. I mean, that's just it. You know, the second the bass go deep, the big thing is the transition from crawdads to shad. And really, any shad-type bait, you know, that's the thing that the, everybody gets caught up in their species-specific techniques like you're talking about as to where it's more the, the, the bait fish opportunity. So once they drop into that deep water and they're chasing shad, I mean, it's the same thing that a walleye, a trout, a, a pike, anything that's feeding on shad, any of those type techniques are going to work for the fisheries in that deep water. So that's where it's great to see these bass drop in deep because you start to see new techniques and, and even old techniques brought back and techniques that aren't species-specific uh, that are going to catch those fish. And a lot of times thinking outside the box uh, is what can win a tournament like we're going to have next week. So, so well, it's, it's pretty neat to see those fish in deeper water. And I think the biggest thing to tell people is, is get outside that box. Trust your gut. If you're not finding those fish, find them deep. Everybody thinks that once they go deep, you can't catch them. Far from the truth. If fish don't eat, they starve and die. So yeah, I t- I tell chase you, the fish after them and catch them. We got Sam Heckman coming up next, and he likes to get out of the box. So we might hear about some of these, some you of the guys that, that. He, that's his water. So if you hang on, we might have some techniques coming up helping <laughs> that tournament. Nate, we got to go. How do they find you? You know, go to tightlineoutdoors.com. We'll be at Chatfield Reservoir. Our weigh-ins at 3 p.m. We'd love to talk to you then. Uh, if not, we can see you at Lake Arbor next uh, tomorrow, or we can see you at Pueblo next weekend. But everything's at tightlineoutdoors.com. All right. Thanks, Nate. Nate Zielinski. Thank you. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. It is time for our Ask the Expert segment. This is where you send your question. Any outdoor question, send it to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors uh, at gmail.com. If you go to our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and scroll down, it kind of walks you through the process. But get your questions in to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at Gmail. Then if we choose to answer your question on the air, you get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse just for sending it in. Today's question is, Hi, Terry. I really enjoy your show and appreciate all the great information you guys put out. Sucking up always helps. I'll tell you that right now if you want to get on, so don't be afraid of that. No, seriously, this this is from... I hear you laughing there, Sam. We'll get to you. <laughs> this, this question, by the way, is from Nick in Platteville. He goes, I'm sorting through some of my fishing gear, and I've got a lot of working rods and reels that I probably won't fish with again. And um, are you aware of any organizations that accept donations of working fishing and outdoor other outdoor outdoor gear. Joining me to help me answer this is one of Colorado's premier bass fishermen who, after he answers the question, we're going to try to suck some information out of him for next week's bass tournament at Pueblo. And he's, But he also does a lot of work with kids groups. I'm so proud of what he gives his time. And that's Sam Heckman. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Terry. How are you, sir? So you like that comment, huh, about sucking up to me? <laughs> yeah, always something. <laughs> yeah. Hey, now, Sam, this is a great question. And I tell you what, when he sent it, I was kind of baffled. And I've talked to a lot of people and I've got some ideas. 
but everybody's kind of baffled. But you thought a great idea might be to go to maybe some of the clubs or something? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of junior clubs, especially up north. You know, um, the Denver Bassmasters has a club, the Front Range Bass Club up there, even further north there up towards uh, – um, up towards Fort Collins. So there's a lot of clubs that have, you know, the, the youth is growing so big. And, you know, we run our Southern Colorado Junior Bass Club down here. And, uh, you know, they're always looking for donations and stuff like that. So that would be a great place for him to start to look for, you know, so, somewhere where he can, you know, get rid of some of his older tackle and stuff. The kids always appreciate it. Yeah, another thing, too, is I got to tell you that every kid in my neighborhood's outfitted better than most guys on the bass tour. So... <laughs> Because I'm fortunate I get new sponsor stuff. So I look for kids in the neighborhood and kids out fishing. Another thing, too, you know, some of the, even not the non-clubs, like the Loveland Fishing Club is a bunch of gentlemen just get together. And a lot of these clubs, the Bass Club, the Walleye Club, they put on clinics for kids during the year. And they're happy to have any kind of gear because those clinics aren't necessarily specific to just bass or walleyes. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I don't know what type of the... Uh, equipment the gentleman has but you know there's there's so many different species that these kids can fish for at the, the same pond and stuff so you know if he's if he's giving it up and somebody takes it you know it could it could be used for for whatever you know for trout for bass um and uh you know the walleyes and stuff up there there's just plenty of fish to go around now are so. a lot of these clubs 501c uh charities you know, I don't believe so. I mean, we're working on that right now, but it's pretty expensive. It's like a thousand dollars to have the attorney and stuff go through it and look at it. Uh, we're looking at something like that to do for our club, uh, and that way we get more donations from bigger organizations, from what I understand. But, but I think but mostly, mostly it's just coming out of our pockets, Terry. You know, it, it always has. You know, just guys that uh, you know are willing to donate their stuff, like me. I'm, I'm kind of like you. I get, I get some some new equipment every year, and I donate down uh, to the juniors. Into the youth club. Well, I think if he just gets a hold of the clubs in his area, just goes online, sends him an email, I think he'll find they're going to be more than willing to help him get that out in the hands of kids who, and even uh, beginning adults who would really like to use it, and we can recruit them into the fishing world. So I think that's just a great idea, and hopefully he'll take advantage of that. For sending that question in, Nick in Platteville is going to get a $25 gift card from Sportsman's Warehouse. Send us your outdoor question. Send it to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors at gmail.com and you might win a gift card and we'll answer your question on the air. Now, I want to pick your brain. You know, we just had Nate Zielinski on and everybody's listening because you're going to come down and fish the bass at Pueblo tomorrow. First of all, what is going on? You know, Pueblo is one of the premier fisheries in Colorado. Kind of bring us up to date water levels. What of all the fish activity, what are you seeing down there? I know you're on the water right now. Yeah, yeah, we're actually down here right now. I just put put one on the board, but he just got a little bit short. But uh, it's been a pretty good morning. The water's dropping. You know, Terry, I can almost say it's probably dropping almost a foot a day. It's really coming down hard, but these these shad are really starting to ball up, and these fish are chasing them pretty hard. So it's been a really good top water. The, the sun just now came out, and uh, – this morning they've been chasing really, really good this morning. So top water bite's been fun. You know, when the when the water's dropping like that and the shad are starting to ball up, a lot of bass fishermen can't move away from the shore. and But the fish do under these conditions, Sam. Yeah, they just, they're just following them around. You know, you gotta you got to think of your secondary points and stuff like that. Uh, you know, a lot of those bigger fish will stay in that in that deeper water. You know, bass guys, we're, we're like magnets getting drawn to the bank, but, uh, you know, a lot of guys will 
I'm not afraid to fish behind anybody. I'll fish anywhere, and uh, I just fish a little deeper sometimes, and sometimes it pays off pretty well. Well, we were talking, you know, a lot of times with this bait balling up, you get all species taking advantage of it, and this is probably the time of the year when not only can you win a tournament like that with a largemouth down there, but you're going to see some big smallmouth being caught, I think. We've, we've put all three species in the boat this morning uh, already, Terry, and it's been, uh, they've been pretty aggressive. They're up, you know, when you're, when you're getting them, you throw them up on the deck and they'll up chuck some, some shad. And uh, so, you know, they've been balling up, uh, feeding them shad. Some of them shad are, you know, two inches now, you know, two and a half inches. Now, when, so, you go, when you go after them, the top water, I understand, you're going to probably throw some chuggers, some crankbaits, a few things like that, some poppers when they're up on top. But what about when you can't find them on top? Do you have some favorite presentations? Yeah, you know, we, uh, you know, a Cinco at Pueblo is always a, a great, great bait. And, uh, you know, the flukes this time of year, too, you know, we'll, we'll throw a fluke out there and catch a few on a fluke. And, uh, you know, of course... I'm always throwing the jig. I don't care what time of year or where I'm at. I'm I'm throwing the jig, so it's one of my favorites. It's you know it's my confidence bait. So you always got to throw your confidence bait. No, oh, you're absolutely. You know my confidence bait most of the time is a plastic worm. I just I may I cut my teeth, made my bread and butter throwing plastic worms from four inch finesse worms up to ten inch big worms, and that's my confidence bait. But when they move off the shore a little bit, I may go to a jig worm. But a lot of times I'll go to a jigging spoon. Yeah, um, you know, I don't, I don't use a jigging spoon this time of year. You know, normally I wait for Nate's guys to, you know, put that up and say, yeah, the, that blade bite is on, so then we'll go out and chase some walleyes. <laughs> but, you know, there's always that good information you can find from those guys, and, you know, they don't hide it. They're very good about sharing it and, and because they just want people to catch fish. And, you know, that's, that's what this, this sport's all about. You know, everybody helps each other out. So, Last question, Sam. Not tournament aside, if somebody wanted to come down to Pueblo and just catch some fish, what should they do? Right now, first thing in the morning, throw a little pop R. Uh, they're just chasing these shad, and little pop R off the points has, has been really producing very well. Anything shad color, you know, white bottom, a silver. Um, Pop is really good. If the wind starts picking up this afternoon, just same thing, throw a spinnerbait. You know, if the water's a little colored, throw something with a little chartreuse in it, but mostly just a white. A white and chartreuse will work really well, too. All right. So, and, and a little bitty square bill, you know. Um, that, that always seems to produce this time of year, too. All right, Sam, thank you so much for being our expert today. And by the way, no matter what Sam said, some of those big bass are going to eat a spoon this tournament, so don't be afraid. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs> All right, Terry. Hey, you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. You bet. You're always great to have you on. Thanks, Sam. Sam Sam Heckman, just a tremendous, tremendous guy. Just a great, the time he gives to kids and what he does is just just so incredible. Uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest motorcycle and ATV dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. You know, I want to take a few minutes and just talk to you folks. We, uh, we're going over, I was writing some articles for my column in the Denver Post and talking to some of the guys, the fishermen out there, and more than ever, information, up-to-date information, is so critical to the outdoor uh, success and a little bit of preparation a preparation goes a long way if you have some good, solid information. Like if you were to follow uh, this radio show, you'd have heard you'd have heard Nate Zelinsky talking about uh, the cast and blast they're doing, or the 
the walleye bite at Chatfield that's going on right now. You'd have heard uh, Sam Heckman talking about the bass he's catching on top water at Pueblo. Today, he's on the water. You'd have heard about Bernie Keefe telling us the lake trout are starting the stage to spawn and they're catchable, what depths are at, and what lure presentations. So if you miss the show, we podcast everything. If you go to 1043thefan.com, go to the menu, go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, this week's shows will be up there until next week. And once you get the link, they stay up almost indefinitely. So you don't you can go back and listen to them and replay them. A lot of times, if we have a really important pod, uh, podcast or maybe a tackle talk or a special guest, we'll link that podcast on our Facebook page, uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. That's really the focal point of what we do here on this show. Like in a couple weeks, the director of Parks and Wildlife is going to spend an hour with us on the show. Uh, that will be posted on our Facebook page. And where we've got a call into the director, we're going to ask him if he's willing to have some questions sent in ahead of time or if he has a topic that he wants to dedicate the hour to. That'll be posted on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And you might be able to get your questions into the director there. Also, if you were on that Facebook page right now, you'd see the fishing report and the stocking report from Parks and Wildlife. The fishing report and stocking report from Parks and Wildlife uh, I just did an article uh, about fishing small ponds uh, like St. Vrain gets stocked really heavily the end of September, 1st of October. My column in the Denver Post, which, by the way, there's a link on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. that will take you right to that, that column, okay? So you can go to that, col- that column, and it's going to tell you about following the stocking report. On our Facebook page, there's going to be a fishing report link that will also take you to the stocking report. See where fish were stocked recently, catchable rainbows. Go out yourself, take your kids out, like St. Vrain right now. It's, this is an incredible time because they're heavily stocking it, and yet catching rainbows off the shore is fantastic. But if you're not following that information, you wouldn't know that was coming up so you could take advantage of it. That's why it's so important to follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Also, there's a new app out now by Colorado Parks and Wildlife called CPW Fishing that gives you information on virtually every fishing location in the state along with maps and regulations, both Android and um, Apple. So you want to go on there and download that to your phone. Have it handy. Uh, Just follow the things that you see. Follow my column in the Denver Post. Every week we're going to try to keep you abreast of what some of the best activities are in the outdoors. But best way is follow me in the Denver Post. Listen to the this radio station or our podcast and certainly follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. And speaking of a follower, I want to bring somebody up that I follow because I always want to get the latest recipes for their product. So I go to their website quite a bit and that's Kevin Mason with Honey Smoked Fish Company and their Honey Smoked Salmon. I'll tell you what, talk about following Kevin. You have so much information on your website. It's phenomenal. Well, thank you, Terry. Good morning to you. Good morning. It's a beautiful day. It sure is. Indian summer. Oh, and that's just great. And I'll tell you what, this is, uh, you know, I talk about your product all the time and how there's always some in my refrigerator, but a lot of people don't realize you're a Colorado company, Kevin. Yes, we are. We are locally owned and we are, I actually got my two sons involved. They just finished college, one from San Diego State and one from Tucson, Arizona. So they just joined me. So I look forward to all this futurist in the future of honey smoked fish with my sons. 
Well, and it, you should be so proud. I bet you they're proud to be part of the company, and you should be proud of them coming back to work. It is so great to see the success, but even though you're a Colorado company, your success has gone national, Kevin. Yes, we are. We're in like 40 states. We're in like over 600 clubs. Tell me why. Why I know why, but tell the people why they should try honey smoked fish. Well, it's almost, you know, it's fall season, and a lot of people are going camping, but they're going hunting. And, you know, a lot of times you need energy. On the weekends, you're a little tired. Well, this would be a great item for like a breakfast item because real food, real energy, sustainable energy. So that is one of the biggest reasons you want to bring it to all your camping or your hunting trips right now to give you that sustainable energy in the morning so you could bring that, you know, elk or deer back. You know, one of the things I, I made a comment earlier when I was talking about your product today, and I said, I'm getting to the age, because you know I'm over 35, and I've been in the outdoor media for four decades, so it's amazing. But You look great. <laughs> but, you know, but seriously, I have to... I have to eat better and work out more to stay active. And I told him the difficult thing I have with Honey Smoke Fish Company salmon is that I don't feel like I'm eating. I know I'm eating healthy and it's so good for me, but I feel like I'm cheating, Kevin. I know. And it takes a little energy to get a pair of scissors to open the package. You know? So it doesn't <laughs> take that much to get yourself going. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's this great stuff. Kevin, where can they find it? Well, at, of course, all the club stores, Safeway, King Super, Sprouts. Uh, all your local restaurants. I tell you, Kevin, just personally, I'm just going to tell people, I personally tell you, if you try one package, you're going to be hooked. This is the best smoked salmon I've ever had in my life. Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Have a great week when, weekend, everybody. All right, thanks. That's Kevin Mason. And the product really is good. We are so incredibly pleased to have them to have them as our uh, one of our partners here on the show. And uh, it's just it's just tremendous. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sportsman's Warehouse, America's premier outfitter. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company's Smoked Salmon. I mean, literally, folks, I love this stuff. If you haven't tried it, try a package. Do yourself a favor. You, If you have an image of smoked salmon that you think you won't like it, this will change your mind. This is like fresh, like fresh ingredient. It is just lightly smoked and so tasty. Let's go right to the phones now. And joining us, as he does every other week, from the northern part of the state, from the Fishful Thinker staff, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. Mr. Terry Wickstrom, it's good to talk to you. It's been a few weeks. Yeah, I, we've been, uh, I for some reason, I've been out of state a lot. I don't know. That seems to happen to me more than I know. <laughs> Yeah, and you're preempted by football games and all kinds of fun things like that. But uh, it's good to talk to you. Be yeah, hopefully that won't happen too much. We decided to keep the show at 9 because I didn't want to get up at 5. <laughs> well, I, I can understand that. <laughs> about it. Yeah, all right, Mr. Mister uh, Ronnie. I'll tell you what. Uh, we had a, di- a different kind of year this year. Everything filled up pretty good in the beginning of the year. Started losing some water. All of a sudden, we got a lot of moisture, and everything kind of filled back up and was higher water for a lot longer. And then a few of the lakes, not all of them, but uh, lately, like uh, Horsetooth and Pueblo, even Boyd and a few others, somebody pulled a plug out of the bathtub. Absolutely. They are running the water out of those reservoirs. And uh, from what we hear about Horsetooth, they were running this down to do some maintenance work that they needed to get to some stuff and, and do a little repair work on. So Horsetooth, if people have not been up there and have not seen it, it's 
Down quite a bit, Terry. You know, uh, the last time it was as low as it is right now it was around 2012, and it's it's going even lower than what it's been out here for the last week or two, Terry. It kind of leveled out for a little while there. They a little, little bit of water back into it, but they turned the inlet back off just the other day, and they opened the inlet or the the, the outlet out, you know, flowing out again. And so the lake is dropping again right now, and it's coming down. So people are definitely freaking out that haven't seen it, Terry. And you know me living up here in northern Colorado most of my life and, and being a guide and being on that lake all the time, I've seen that lake, you know, go up and down. And, and on average, it used to draw it down about 50 vertical feet, Terry. But they sort of changed the way they were running water through the system over the last, you know, three, four years. And we had a lot of water in the system, and we had a lot of moisture. But this is kind of old school for us. This is what we were seeing in the late 2000s, you know, and uh, it, it's nice to see it, Terry. It's it's definitely good to see. It changes the fishery. There's no doubt about it. But what I really wanted to talk about, Terry, is that there's an opportunity when the lake is drawn down like it is right now to get out there and learn the lake. Get out there, you know, either you can do it from the shore, you can just pull up some of the parking areas and get out and walk some of the banks, or you can utilize your you can kind of pull up some of the mid-lake stuff and, you know, put the boat on the bank and get out and walk around a little bit. I highly suggest doing that, Terry. Getting out and putting your feet on the ground and actually walking around the bank, you'll be amazed at what you can learn, Terry. And that's the kind of stuff when you come back in the water's high is going to make you stand out from everybody else, Terry. Well, one of the things I've even done is in the old days when we used more paper maps than the graphs that we have on our electronics now, is I used to go out when the water is when it's at its very lowest and take pictures of spots that I wanted to fish when the water was higher. And instead of waiting to try to find that little spot, I take a picture and a GPS coordinate with my handheld of that little hump that people aren't going to find when the water's high, that little change in contour, that transition from hard to soft. And boy, I tell you, those little spots, the spot on the spot can make all the difference, Ronnie. Yeah, that is definitely a saying in fishing, you know, spot on spot. And that's the kind of stuff you can learn. There's no doubt about it, Terry. And uh, when you get out there, you know, there's some ways I like to go about doing it, Terry. Now, modern electronics have changed the game a little bit, like you're talking about. And so you can get out there, and you, maybe you can take a handheld GPS with you. Or you can even do it on your phone nowadays, Terry, where you get out and you can walk around. And, yes, you can drop waypoints on, on crucial things, spots that look like, okay, there's a hump right here, there's some rock right here, that kind of a thing. One of the things I really like to do, Terry, is I like to go out and walk trails around stuff. So let's say I'm looking at somewhere like the, you know, the east bank of Horseshoe. When the water's drawn down on the east bank, there's a whole lot of dirt there, Terry. You just see a lot of dirt. But if you pay attention to what you're looking at, you're going to see some isolated patches of gravel. You're going to see a few isolated ridges that are out there on that main lake as well that come popping up out of the water. And you're also going to see, you know, where the transitions take place, like you're talking about, where the rock changes, where the rock spills off into that sand or into that dirt. All of those key areas, I get out and I walk trails, either down those ridges from one end to the next, or on some of those isolated patches of gravel or isolated rock piles, I get out and I walk a trail with my GPS all the way around those things so that I completely surround those particular areas with a line. And so now when I transfer that over to my GPS on my fish finder, 
then I'm looking at it, and I'm fishing, and I'm actually looking at the chart. I have a target that I'm casting at, Terry. It may look like a piece of pizza over there, or it may look like a, you know, a, a Florida, you know, kind of a little shape of Florida type type of thing. A lot of the structure on horses looks like a T. It comes off the bank, has a saddle, and then runs north and south. I'll walk around those things and completely outline those things. That way, when I get back there, you know, back out on the boat, Terry, I can make really, really accurate casts to that stuff because I have that trail on my chart and I know exactly where that piece of structure is, Terry. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, and people need to get out there. But let's take a couple minutes now and talk about the water is falling. Where should people fish and how are you approaching it when you do go out? Well, you know, fishing is, is we're kind of in that transition into fall right now, Terry, so the lake's definitely changing. Uh, it's definitely a time of year where you do want to cover a lot of water, Terry. So this is where power fishing is really going to shine. And as the water drops out of a reservoir like horse juice, what you find is all the bushes and trees and things like that, they're high and dry. They get completely up out of the water. So now you're dealing with just kind of some rocks and some transitions to sand and some dirt and some humps and things like that. Those really set up well for crankbaits, Terry. Those are the kind of things that you can really, you know, huck a crankbait at and you can get it down and you can grind it across those kind of those structures, that humps, those things like that. And that crankbait's not going to snag all that much because there's not all kinds of trees and bushes down there for you to get in. You know, power fishing right now, covering a lot of water, and then when you make contact with a fish and you actually find a school of fish that want to bite, then you can settle down on those fish, maybe move up on top of them and try jigging, spinning, or ripping a blade or something along those lines. That will absolutely produce, there's no doubt about it. The gulp minnow also shines this time of year, but it tends to be that we're putting the gulp minnow on a little heavier jig head than we do earlier in the year so that that gulp minnow is far more reactive. It's going to fall real fast through the water column. I'm going to snap it up. I'm going to work it really quick, really erratic. All the presentations that I'm going to be using this time of year, Terry, I'm trying to emulate a bait fish that is either dying or wounded or stressed or a bait fish that is scared and trying to get away from those teeth. So those are the two things that I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about dragging things slow. I'm not thinking about slow soaking things. I'm not even doing real long pauses or anything like that with jerkbaits. I'm working things really, really fast, really, really erratic and triggering reaction strikes to get those predators want to feed this time of year, Terry. Is there a hot bite up in the north, either a horse tooth boyd or somewhere that people can take advantage of? You know, it's not that there's a hot bite, Terry, and this time of year, especially as we get into fall, what people need to remember is that, uh, you know, it can drastically change from one day to the next, and it can drastically change from one hour to the next. So on any given day, there will be a period or two periods where you will absolutely blast fish this time of year on either board or host to Terry, but then there will also be periods, kind of lulls, where you get out there, and it's those lulls when the fish don't really seem like they want to play. That's when you take the opportunity and you spend a little time doing some mapping, doing some walking of the banks and all that stuff we talked about earlier. And then, you know, you give it a couple hours and then get back out and see if those fish have woken up again and they want to feed again. So they feed in small windows, but when they do feed this time of year, Terry, they absolutely gorge themselves. And, you know, they, they put the chow bag on heavy. So the smallmouth are going good. The walleye have been a little bit tough on horse tooth as of late. And on board, the, the largemouth have been very, very good. But it definitely depends on conditions on any given day, Terry. All right. Ronnie, thank you so much. Great information as always. We'll talk to you again in a couple weeks, and we do have to get on the water together soon. Let's do it before it freezes, Terry. Uh, we got some time. We'll make it happen. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Ronnie. It's Ronnie Castiglione. Always a great resource. You know, I want to touch a little bit on what, you know, transition time. When the water is falling on these lakes, 
The fish that were close to shore tend to get pulled away from shore, but they don't always go to the bottom. Depends on the bait, depends on the activity. A lot of times they pull off and suspend, and that's why the crankbait is so effective because it's people have trouble fishing for suspended fish. Another thing that happens this time of the year, though, is the water cools, the trout get close to shore. A lot of the front-range lakes that you haven't been able to catch trout on all summer, they're going to be heavily stocked because the water temperature is dropping, and those fish are going to be more willing to come to shore because the water's cooler. So it's a great time of the year to get out and fish from shore for trout especially. So there's always something going on. Go to my Facebook page, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We'll try to keep you updated on what's going on. We even, you know, go there and just scroll down once. Go to my Facebook page and scroll down in what we posted over the last two, three weeks. We don't post 100 things a week. We post five or six. You're going to find a ton of great information and they can help you catch fish right now or give you tips on hunting right now, like that the director's coming up here. we got to wrap it up. We're going to take off. ESPN Radio's coming up right here on 104.3 The Fan.